Good Monday morning. Welcome to Out from the Cube, where as we close in on episode 40, I think we're somewhere around 36. I appreciate you listening. Hope you had a great weekend. Um, I ended up doing three episodes last week, all myself. Uh, we didn't have any guests last week, but we did our Monday roundup. We did a Wednesday, uh, Thursday of just me, and then some things uh, hit me. And I was compelled to kind of do a, uh, an episode on Friday. So I hope you got a chance to listen to those. Again, they're all up on YouTube as I'm recording this on YouTube as well. And you could go to our YouTube channel. And once I get enough subscribers and videos and people listening to that, I think how that works is you end up getting your own custom URL. So it'll be easy. But if you go to YouTube and just search for Out From The Cube or search for me, I believe you will find it. And at one point, again, we will have a out from the cube URL, which will be easy to find. So I hope you had a great weekend. I did. It was filled with a lot of basketball with my kids and uh, I really enjoyed it. So uh, we had a great time. I went through uh, Friday, a number of my, I was compelled. I was watching some videos on Friday. There were some things that were being said in these videos and I really found it good. It was really just about uh, your comfort level, the temperature you, you kind of roll with, uh, you know, kind of this m mindset of being at a temperature of 72 and other people may play at 86 and then somehow you get to 86, but you're not comfortable at 86. So you wind that temperature gauge down back to 72 and the challenge is not necessarily to you. I hope you do find it a challenge. I hope you do find the things we say to be a challenge, but really to myself is Man, find those people that play at 86, uh, that are comfortable at 86, 92, 105, whatever that temperature gauge is. Find those people and be comfortable at that level and get out of your comfort zone and do more. And then the analogy or, that I gave, and I really, I really, uh, I really believe this uh, because it, it came, kept coming to me this weekend when I was with my children and we were doing basketball, is I want my kids to play basketball on teams where they are not the best. I want my kids to kind of be second, third best so they have somebody to model, somebody to reach for, uh, so they can see somebody their age with their abilities uh, that they can reach towards and that they could get to that level, that they could be that good, that successful, and, uh, you know, and get, that, uh, you know, get that confidence uh, at playing at that level. If I expect that from my kids or if I'm hunting for that for my kids so they can understand uh, – improvement and challenges and getting outside their comfort zone and understanding what work is and understanding somebody is at that level that they aspire to be at. Why wouldn't I want that for myself? Um, and so maybe that resonates with you. Uh, a lot of the, I think it's interesting, the, uh, the things we tell ourselves, it's interesting. Let me circle back and say that differently. The things we tell our kids and the things we want them to have in their minds as they go through you know, ch childhood or teenage years or into college or as they start their careers after college, um, we, don't, we don't say to ourselves or we don't hold ourselves accountable to those same things. Um, there are things, I mean, my kids are eight and 10 years old and I want my kids to be challenged. I want them to work hard. I don't want them, Here, here's what I thought about this morning. And again, now I'm bouncing a little bit, but my boys played three games yesterday, three games, kind of back to back to back. They were tired on that third game, both of them. And actually, members of the team were tired. And I remember we played that third game against a team we felt we could have beat. We ended up losing, which is fine. It's fourth grade basketball. But I remember talking to them about always giving their best effort. 
And I understand that you're tired. I understand you just played three games. I understand um, that you're young kids, all that. I get all that. I get all that. But I want them to be able to overcome things, to challenge themselves, to work hard in spite of some circumstances. And I remember looking at all of them. I huddled them all together. And I said, we do not want to be people that make and I always kind of leave some of the big phrasing for them to complete. And they all looked at me and they all knew what to say. Excuses. Right. And but but and, but the, the point to you, to hopefully to you and hopefully definitely to me is yeah, there's I'm tired. I put in a long day. I'm raising a family. I've got clients. I've got all these other things that are going on. I've, you know, uh, got other personal things maybe going on. And there's all sorts of excuses or reasons I could come up with why I'm tired or not finishing things or whatever it is. And essentially, we do not want to be people like that. So if I'm teaching that and trying to um, have my children uh, do that, why wouldn't I expect the same thing of myself? And so hopefully that resonates with you. Uh, but anyway, that, that was kind of the Friday message. Uh, if you want to go back, please listen to that. Um, listen to the episodes last week. Uh, you know, I would hit the YouTube if you can. That really helps me. It really helps me if you subscribe to it, actually, uh, as kind of the algorithm of YouTube works and the subscriptions kind of work. Um, excuse me while I, again, I'm drinking coffee, getting things going. If you are on YouTube, you can see I'm drinking out of my Elvis Presley mug. And I'm not an Elvis Presley guy. So um, never been to Graceland. I think that's my brother ended up giving that to me. So somebody has gone to Graceland. So um, a few things that are on my notes, holding them up for YouTube. This is, these are my weekly notes from last week. There is a lot on here. It was a great week last week. Um, I did talk a lot about um, some of the things that are highlighted here. I don't want to get into, we talked about, you know, the only gap that matters is the one between knowledge and action. That is essentially one reason why I did put something out last week was that idea of knowledge, information, being compelled to do great things, having the knowledge to do great things, moving, moving the needle so you can make changes in your life and educating yourself and getting more information. But that gap you know, that, that chasm, I guess, between knowledge, information, and wanting to do great things and the action gap is, for some, I would say for the most successful people, that is very small. Once they get the knowledge, once they know enough information, and they're able to make really good decisions, they make decisions, and they take action, and they roll. And I'm not that guy. Um, and I'm trying to be, and I, and hopefully if you're not that person, um, you are trying to be, but that, that gap for successful people, once they get knowledge and they're able to make decisions and they get all the information that they have, they're able to make quick decisions and take quick action and, and take massive action. Um, and, and, and I hope that, uh, to be me as, as I kind of take notes and, write things down in my little black book here of things that I need to work on for the week and my goals for the week. And, you know, one of the goals I am going to write down this week as I get going is going to be taking more massive action, being doing things that I am compelled to do and all that. Um, one thing, so there's a, uh, things I've listened to or read this week. I am continuing to read this. I am going to continue to pump it up, holding it up on YouTube. It is the way of the seal. It is by Mark Devine, who is a Navy seal. And, where some books on Navy SEALs are very driven by military stories, which I do like. I do, un, I do appreciate, uh, if you've listened before, I do appreciate the military and what they do and uh, the sacrifice they give. Um, 
but some of the books I do read are very uh, war story type things. This book is not that. There, there is, without question, a military spin to this, military leadership and military examples. It's not necessarily this the, through the lens of war and battles and things of that nature. It's really about leadership and um, things of that nature. So it's a great book, but I did take a lot out. I've taken a lot out of that book. Um, and we'll, and we'll polish that off this week. But one of the uh, videos I watched this week, I do credit people here a little bit more is from Gary V. Um, but he interviewed Frank Blake. Frank Blake is the former CEO or maybe the current CEO, but I believe he is the former CEO of Home Depot. And he had this sit down interview on what he calls his ask Gary V, um, ask Gary V podcast or video cast that he does, but something just really struck, struck me. I took a lot of notes as this guy talked, but, um, the one thing he talked about is optimism. And this is a quote from Frank Blake. Optimism is a force multiplier. It drives the entire organization. And Gary V talks a lot about just being optimistic and being around optimistic, positive people. Now this can't be all this Pollyanna stuff and not challenging people and not giving feedback and not correcting people and giving constructive criticism. I get all that. Um, that has to happen in an organization. It has to happen on a team and it should happen with you and you personally in a, in a critique and an evaluation of yourself and where you're going and what you're trying to accomplish, but it should also be a part of your team. I get all that, but there is this thing about being around people that are truly optimistic and truly positive and encouraging and uplifting. Um, and there's so much that, let me tell you right now, that is. If you were to go through this book, and this is my 2018, I'm holding it up on YouTube. This is my 2018 planner. And it is really kind of this, I bought this planner and it's really the planning planner that I use for goals and uh, yearly goals, quarterly goals, monthly goals, weekly goals. That's really how this is laid out. And I really like it. And I, if I were to flip back to the start of 2018, I would say that maybe it was number one or two or whatever, but it was going to to eliminate negativity, pessimism, criticism, you know, essentially from my life. <clears throat> that was me. I was like, I, you know what? Uh, I'm 45. I don't have time in my life for a whole bunch of negativity, um, criticism, pessimism, non-encouragement, uh, not uplifting, and, you know, as goofy as it sounds like, kind of true love of each other, one another, my community, all that. And I'm going to say without question, that has happened 99% of the time for my year. So that was a conscious decision. It was the number one goal for me for 2018. I have lived it. Um, I have looked for it. And I have kind of eliminated or moved away from some of that stuff in my life, which is, which is, which is fine, right? Um, it's, it's that important. It's that important for, I think, your mindset, your well-being, uh, but more so your your profession, your teams, the people you lead, the people that you're around at work, all that, the people you are around in your community, to your family, to all that, um, just to be around optimism. So Frank Blake, CEO of Home Depot, says optimism, it's a force multiplier, and it drives the entire organization. So I, if imagine just being a part of an organization or a team where I understand bad things happen, um, that you're not going to get clients, you're not going to get the sale, you're going to mess up in terms of techno, uh, some things technically, you're going to mess up plans for 
excuse me, for whatever that might be. I, and then I understand that there's repercussions for that. There's people that have to be corrected. There has to be some coaching. There's all that, right? Um, you know, the total sidebar to this. But in terms of this optimism, and I don't have the exact quote. Um, it is in my notebook somewhere. If, and, and, if you have gotten this far in my podcast, you do know that it is typically sport, uh, the sport analogies. But I look at sports teams as the, is, as the model for team building, organization building, program building, motivation and coaching. Like I'd look at that as the top, right? Those people are, you know, very intense. They're evaluated every day. It's high dollar amounts, all that sort of stuff. I just, I believe that there is a huge correlation and um, match pattern, I suppose, to uh, the business world and the sport world. That's just my beliefs. Okay. But I remember watching a video on Nick Saban. Nick Saban is the head coach at Alabama, who some regard as the best college football coach of all time, actually now. And they also look at him as some hard ass. That's just always in your face, always getting after you always. Now this is, they had really started to study him. Because he is so good, you can find a lot of content on how he runs his program. And as hard as he is on his players, he really, and the quote, I don't have the exact quote, but essentially it was something along the lines of building those kids up with optimism and positiveness and encouragement and letting them feel like they're getting better every day. Now, I have seen enough videos and studied him enough to know that he is very challenging, that his level of expectation is very high. But when it is met, when they are moving that direction, when they are better than they were yesterday, there is a lot of encouragement. There is a lot of patting on the back. There is a lot of uh, high fives and a lot of you are getting better. Um, that's how that program seems to be run from what I've seen. So I guess the, 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 you know, the thought to you is if you have people in your organization as you lead into Monday, you know, I, I want there to be a theme maybe to every episode we do or a theme to my week, me personally. And maybe my theme for this week is just going to be, man, let's just be really optimistic this week. Let's be really positive. Let's be really encouraging. Let's find those people that are maybe struggling or on the line with certain things that can, can take a little encouragement this week. And again, it's amazing the mindset shift of people when they get some positive encouragement, optimism, you can do it, you're doing great, you're impactful. I watched a video early this morning, guy sitting down with an intern. Intern was 19 years old rolling into his sophomore year at UC Irvine. Okay, and he's sitting down, and he is sitting across. He's he, it's a Gary V episode. He's sitting across from Gary V. Gary V has millions and millions and hundreds of millions of dollars, whose goal is to buy the New York Jets. That's his goal. So, in order to buy the New York Jets, you you to even be in that discussion. I mean, that, that if that thing ever were to sell, you've got to be in the neighborhood. That 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 uh, organization is probably worth four or five billion dollars, four billion dollars. Who knows? But anyway. He's sitting across from him. Gary V is a little bit younger than me. He could be 42, 43 years old. And here's a 19-year-old. And Gary V is sitting across from him going, hey, I really appreciate what you did this summer here. You're in New York City. You're from California. You're, you, you have come out here. And I am not sure 
if we had anybody that was more impactful to what we're trying to do here than you. You really left your mark here. You really did a great job. Now you're going back to Irvine as a sophomore, and I'd encourage you to do this, 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 this. And keep us in mind, stay connected with us, because you really crushed it here. Right? This is a 42-year-old multi-multi-millionaire talking to a 19-year-old. And even if that guy wasn't everything he said, now he might have been. I'm guessing he was. I'm, I'm sure that Gary Vee just doesn't roll around and throw that around to everybody to make him feel good. But imagine that 19-year-old, and it's on film, and now it's viral to a certain extent because most of what Gary Vee does goes viral. Right? And he's sitting there. Think about the encouragement. If Gary Vee were to sit back from me, and tell me great things, I would be rolling out of there saying, man, I'm going to crush the next 10 years of my life just from one conversation. So imagine how you can have that conversation and with people this week with who you work with, and you can just really change, not, not change their week. You could change their month of October. You could change the rest of this quarter. You could change how they are perceived with this career, right? What about encouraging those people so much and even if they leave, like when I watched that video this morning, I was sitting there going, what would I be saying if I was Gary Vee sitting across from that kid? I would be sitting there. You know what? I was, I was thinking this. You're going to go off and do great things, I think. You were really impactful here this summer. You changed how we do business, and you did things that even made me think a little bit how I could be better. And I really appreciate that from coming from a 19-year-old. And you're going to go to Irvine. You're going to get your degree. Stay connected with us. But you're going to go have other jobs. Take this experience and try to implement what you learned here to those other careers, those other professions, those other jobs that you might have. But I'm going to, my hope would be, my hope would be that you never have a job better than the one you had here this summer. But go impact your community, go impact your careers and all that. I would say something like that because I'm sitting around, if you're, I, and I kind of know some of the people locally here, locally being the St. Louis area that listen to the podcast, but man, I think we all need to sit back and say, everybody that works here, I want every single person that works at my company, our company, with our team to sit back and say, That's the, this is the best job I've ever had, even if I have to leave because of pay, responsibility, title, position, whatever it might be. People are going to leave. But I would always want somebody to sit back and say, you know what, I've been away from that place, or I've been away from Polaris Solutions, my, comp my company meaning our company, not my company, that we sit there and say, that's the best job I've ever had. Well, I'm over here making X amount more. I have more responsibility. I am having an impact where I'm at, but man, that was a good job. I learned a lot there. I was able to, I, you know, I was surrounded by these really super talented people that were really optimistic, that were really passionate, that were really encouraging, that were really challenging. Expectations were so high and I learned so much and I exceeded expectations and it was just the best place to ever work. And I'm going to try to implement that here where I'm at. Optimism is a force multiplier and it drives the entire organization. So the one thing that Blake said that really resonated with me kind of off of this optimism thing, let me, let, me, let me say this. Let me go back to optimism. The best way to create, and this is, uh, I've, maybe I've already said this or alluded to this, but Gary Vee also said this in a talk this week I listened to. The best way to create confidence in yourself and in the team is is through is to be around optimism is through optimism it is through encouraging being positive 
being optimistic about what's what lies ahead. Who wants to be around? There's probably a time where, you, you know, it maybe makes sense to say something, you know, I don't know. And I wouldn't know the best example to sit around and say there's a time for a whole bunch of pessimism or cynics. Now, you always need to be thinking ahead about maybe some things that may not go well and be prepared for certain things and maybe have a strategy or a plan if something doesn't work out. You know, you can't always sit there and say, hey, it's always it's going to work this way, this way, this way and not be prepared for things that may not go right. I get that. All right. I'm not going to dwell on that. Um, but I'm also going to be prepared for some things that may not go our way. But the best way to create confidence is to be around optimism. And I'm telling you right now, if I could be a coach a team and I had, and I'm not just talking athletics, but if I were in the IT space, which I am, and I am coaching a certain thing, I would be the most optimistic guy and the most encouraging guy. And I would be so passionate and enthusiastic and have high expectations and be so driven with people because I would sit there and say, if I can do all these things, my people are going to have confidence that we and them individually can do great things. Imagine if your team of 10 people or your team of 40 people or your team of one person had the most confidence that they could execute anything that came across their desk, any client any sale, any, anything that happened, they, were, they were, had the confidence without question they could execute it. Let me circle back to something from two weeks ago or last week maybe. And if you haven't listened to it, there was, an art, there was a video I watched from Lewis Howes and Kobe Bryant. Kobe, it's, a, it's an ama- I think an amazing interview. Go listen to Lewis Howes and the Kobe Bryant interview. It's about, I think it's 44 minutes. I really enjoy the first 10 minutes a lot. I've listened to it quite a bit, watched it again this weekend. But Kobe Bryant says something at the very beginning that changed his life. Kobe Bryant is regarded as one of the top five basketball players of all time. And he is in my mind. He's, the more I learn about him, the higher up he seems to go. But what he said was, I played basketball in the hardest basketball league in Philadelphia and scored zero points all summer long. Now, this ends up being one of the top five basketball players of all time, and he's playing in a summer league in Philadelphia, and he doesn't score a point all summer long. And he said, my dad told me something at the end of that summer that changed my life. And he said, son, I don't care if you score zero points, and I don't care if you score 60 points. I love you no matter what. Now, that changed his life. And in the next sentence, Kobe Bryant says, he was like, game over. That gave me all the confidence and all the safety to mess up and fail. So as you lead your teams this week, if you want to develop confidence, be really optimistic, be really encouraging. I'm not suggesting you roll around and hug everybody on Monday morning and tell them that you love them. But one thing that I do, one thing that I think, and this may sound goofy, one thing that I think that I have said and that I have said for a number of years now, because you don't want to be rolling around saying you love everybody and have everybody laugh at you, I guess, professionally, as 45 years old, 45 year olds. But I do love the expression of I appreciate you. I think that is impactful to roll around to people you work with, you lead, or that are your friends, or that do great things and sit there and say, man, I really appreciate you. I'm essentially glad you're in my life. I'm glad you're on my team. I'm glad you're on this project. I'm glad that you and I are friends. I appreciate you. 
if you could just roll around and say, I appreciate you, man, and those people roll back with confidence and those people roll back with uh, safety that they can mess up and fail, man, your teams will crush it. Your teams will crush it. Now, I don't believe that – I just circle back. I do believe that you need that certain level of challenging them to do great things, not asking them to do things they can't do, but getting them to do things where if they're a 72 on the temperature gauge, that you can get them up to 82. Okay, one thing I've been wanting to say that I keep forgetting, it is in my notes, but I keep forgetting to say this is this. Everybody needs a coach. Everybody needs a coach. I believe that. Everybody needs somebody to push them outside their comfort zone. Everybody. And what makes me say everybody, if you're a CEO, and, and, I'm, and I'm lucky enough, we're lucky enough that you listen to this podcast, and you're sitting around, you need a coach too. Everybody, somebody to talk to, somebody to bounce ideas off. But I think this is my definition of, of, of a part of being a coach. I'm not saying it's the only definition or my only definition. But there is a part of being a coach that I think of this way. I see more in you than you see in yourself, and I'm going to push you to get there. Somebody told me something about that when I was 18 years old. His name was Tony Ingle. Tony Ingle at one point was the interim basketball coach at BYU in Provo, Utah, who actually ended up leaving and I think won a couple of national championships as a Division II coach and as an NAIA coach in basketball. And I, I was friends with him. I coached as a little kid back in 1994, right? And I remember Coach Ingle saying, George, I think he essentially said it like this. This is what coaching is. And he was a very spiritual person, but he essentially said, God, God sees more in you than you see in yourself. And he's going to put things in place to make sure that you reach those, what he has planned for you. Okay. So that's very spiritual. But in one line, he was like, but that's the, that is the role of a coach. Everybody needs a coach. Now, how does that, why, what made me think about that is I read a book called Relentless by a guy named Glover who, who, uh, wrote, who was Michael Jordan's personal trainer. Here is the best basketball player of all time. And he's like, you know what? I need a personal coach, strength and conditioning, skill enhancement, all nutrition, whatever it might be, right? Jordan went out and got in. This is a guy who's scoring 35 points a game, MVPs, world championships, rings, MVP, all this. And he's still sitting back saying, I need a coach. I need somebody who looks at things a little different, somebody that sees more in me than I see in myself, and somebody that can push me to get there, and somebody that is encouraging and optimistic and challenging and, and uh, uh, love, uh, ex setting expectation levels and pushing me to get there. So those are the things. And the best way to create confidence in in yourself, in your team, in uh, the people you lead, is to be around optimism and create optimism. So those things are really, uh, I hope that hits you. I hope that one hits you that everybody needs a coach. I hope that, that when you lead your team, that subtle thing of pushing your, pushing your people to reach a high level of expectations, but understanding how you can get them, get them to reach that level. How can you get them to reach your level of expectation? How can you as a coach, as a leader, as a motivator, as a C-suite executive, get everybody on your company 
in your company to go from 72 to 86. And hopefully you know what I mean by 72 to 86 now. Hopefully you're sitting there saying everybody in my organization for the most part is hovering around 72. We have a few people at 65. We have a few people at 86. And how can I turn that temperature gauge up subtly, slowly, over time, so that by April 1st of 2019, we're all at an 86, and the 65s are at 74s, and we're all comfortable being there? Is it to crack the whip and be pessimistic and to tell people you can go find IT programmers and sales executives on every single street corner in St. Louis or San Francisco or Florida, right? Or is it to hire, where's my notes here? There is something about right here. High performance teams, a group of individuals that are driven and they believe in a vision and they're in it to win. But right here, you don't hire a high performing team. You develop them. Now, that came, um, that came from Bedros Kulian. I'm not saying his name. B-E-D-R-U-S-K-U-I-L-I-A-N. So he's a CEO or an entrepreneur guy. But he said, one, if you want a high-performing team and we're all on teams and you're trying to develop high-performing teams, he said high-performing teams are a group of individuals that are driven, they believe in the vision, and they are in it to win. They are driven. So let me circle back. There's so much here. Rick Pitino, coach at Louisville, was on the Lewis House shows this week, right? He's, he's pimping a book out there. So uh, Pitino is going to be everywhere on the channels I listen to because he, he wrote a book. But PhD, PhD, this is what he looks for. When he goes and recruits players, or if you're looking for people on your sales team, or if you're hiring for your IT teams, which, which we are, you know, plug for Polaris Solutions, we're hiring, we're out there looking, and I'm part of that committee where we're going out and meeting people and talking to people and going through resumes and going to lunches and coffees and text screens. We're doing all that, and I'm part of that. And then I wrote this down, and Brick Patino says, I look for PhDs, poor, hungry, and driven. PhD, poor, hungry, and driven. The guys that just, or gals that just are hungry, that will do whatever it takes, they're driven, they'll execute, all that sort of stuff. High-performing teams are a group of individuals that are driven, they believe in the vision, and they're in it to win. Competitiveness, wanting to be the best, wanting to figure out what the level, expectation level is and meet it. Second point from Bedros, you do not hire a high-performing team. You develop it. You're going to, you may go higher and we, we are, we're looking at building our team and we are meeting with some stars because of who we are, what we do, our reputation, our former clients, word of mouth, reference, all that sort of stuff. We have put ourselves in a position to always sit down with some of the best people. Does hiring the best people mean that you're all of a sudden going to have the best team? Okay. So let me, let I apologize ahead of the, uh, for the sport analogies. A number of years ago, could be six, could have been eight years ago. The Miami Heat, if you remember, Miami Heat in one off season, they had the, one of the top five players in basketball, Dwayne Wade. Miami Heat did. They went out and got Chris Bosh, 
who was one of the best players in basketball, and LeBron James, who was the best player in basketball. So all of a sudden, in one offseason, the Miami Heat got the three best players in the NBA all on their team. Do you know when they started the next season, they were and when they were 30 games in, and I could be wrong, I'm not exact with these stats. I'm close, though. And if you follow basketball, you'll know what I'm talking about. The first 15 or first 20 or first 25 games, they were 500, which means that if they played 24 games, they won 12 and lost 12. But they had the best players in the game. It takes time to develop a high-performing team. And we talked the other day about what your priorities are as an organization or as a CEO or as a C-suite executive or as a leader of your team. What are the most important things to you? And my, my opinion would be the most important thing to me is always my team, the people I lead, and so much so that that is always one of the first things I start with, thinking about the team every Monday, every Tuesday morning, sitting around driving, saying, you know, what do they need and how can I help and well, how can I impact this group today and how can I get them better and how can I encourage and be optimistic and get them to, how can I set the bar higher for so-and-so, that person's really good or that person needs a pat on the back or whatever it might be, right? Figuring out what my team needs. That's what I would do, okay? But it takes time to develop that. You don't hire a high-performing team. You develop them, okay? So the best – I'm going to circle around to some other things here. Um, I'm trying to figure out exactly where to go. What about you as a leader, okay? There's two types of leaders, and I really liked this from Lewis Howes this week, and I forget who he was interviewing. But it definitely came from Lewis Howes' uh, podcast. There's two types of leaders. And you have to figure out what you are. And I know if you're listening to this and you are a leader and you have people that you uh, have below you, which is kind of a, a strange way to think about things. But if you're a C-suite guy and you're a CEO, whatever it might be, I know how you are going to answer this in your head ahead of time. I know how you are going to answer this. There's two types of leaders, a want-to leader and a have-to leader. You are perceived by the people that you are leading as one of those things. And this is how they think of things. The team is going to say, I want to do this for him. I want to do this for him. Or they are going to say, I have to do this for him. And the, the phrase this executive used was, otherwise, he's going to chastise me. He is going to get after me. He's going to kick my tail if I don't do it. I have to go do this for him. I want to or I have to. Think about yourself, and as a leader, if you're developing a culture, if you are developing your team, if you are leading in such a way that your team is sitting there saying, I want to. I'll tell you right now, and this isn't to stroke the people that I work for. We have a great company, a great culture and all that. If it were Saturday, Sunday, if it were yesterday, and if it were Sunday, and I got a call at 3 o'clock, a text message or anything that says, hey, George, I need you to do X, Y, and Z, and we need it done by Monday morning. Done deal. Done deal. Wouldn't even think anything. I would never sit down and say, I have to do this. What I would say is this. In the middle of a basketball game, I will do this, and I'll make sure it's taken care of. I will find time to get that done prior to. And I would sit down and say, I, I, I get to, I, you know, I want to do this. You know, I want to do this. I get to do this. It's not going to sit there and say, I have to. That's because of the way we are led. Um, now, that never typically happens with our company. I'm just trying to paint an example. Like what kind of leader are you? Most of you are probably sitting there saying, 
that your people would say, I want to. Okay. And I don't have a great strategy right now for thinking about how you can get data on that or how you can get a perception on that. But you're either, listen, this is going to sound strange to you, but I look at it two ways. You're either leading out of love and appreciation and gratitude and optimism, or you're leading out of fear. That's how I always look at things. And the example I typically give, yes, it's sport related, is you are Bobby Knight throwing chairs nose to nose, screaming and yelling and getting people to sit there and say, you know, I know of companies that lead out of fear, but they pay so well that nobody leaves. That's a true statement. They pay so stinking well and that nobody wants to leave because they'd have to take such a huge cut to go somewhere, but they're led out of fear and people cry and people are anxious and people have bad health. And they're sitting around just taking it, taking it, taking it simply because I can get my, I, I'm, you know, I'm saving for this. I'm saving for that, whatever it is. Right. Right. Or there are people that just lead. So that's Bobby Knight. If you know Bobby Knight, he was a tyrant basketball coach. He won a lot. He won a lot. It worked for him in the seventies and eighties. That would not work now. I don't think, but it worked for him. Or your, what I always look at is I kind of look at Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy is a, I've read a lot about Tony Dungy. He was an NFL head coach and he leads out of love and appreciation and gratitude and optimism and challenging, but setting the ball bar high. I've heard stories about him sitting cross armed and just sitting there, something bad happens. And he would simply say, Hey, Warren talking about like Warren Sapp in a book I read. Don't do that again. And Warren, who's an NFL guy, Hall of Famer, actually, who made millions and millions of dollars. And even Warren Sapp said, I get paid a king's ransom to play a child's game. Sat there and looked at Tony Dungy and said, yes, sir. Right? And, and just self-corrected. But Warren Sapp's quote in the book was essentially, we just didn't want to let him down. He cared so much about us. He worked so hard to prepare us. He gave us every opportunity to learn and achieve, and he set the standard so high and pushed us to, uh, to reach that standard and that expectation, and he did it in such a way where he treated us as men and as adults and as his children. We just didn't want to let him down, right? So, you got, I mean, want to leader, have to leader, leading out of love, appreciation, gratitude, optimism, leading out of fear. You got to figure out what you are. Well, I can lead out of fear because I can replace every single person here by the end of the day. And I can pay, I can pay well enough. They'll never leave. What a, what a whore. I have a gentleman who lives right over there. If I'm pointing on YouTube. He lives right there. He was a uh, C-suite executive at a very good company in St. Louis. And he looked and he's retired. He is now 70. He looks like he's 55. Phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal person. And he's looked at me in the years since he's retired, and, we, and I know him well. And he has sat there and said, I was really hard on people. And I wish I could go back and, and been a different type of leader. Because I'm older now, I'm more relaxed, and I just didn't lead, uh, to quote a book, I just didn't lead with my heart. And I, I could have been a better leader and I could have gotten more out of him. I could have, I forgot how he phrased it, but he essentially was saying I could have made their lives better. 
right? If you're leading out of fear, man, or if you're in a position where you're out of fear, I hope you have, I hope we would all have the guts to say, man, I deserve better. I'm, I'm, I'm worth more. I'm valued. Uh, I value myself more um, that I, that I can make some changes. What about this phrase? Uh, this is off the subject of some of the stuff that we've talked about. What about this? Actually, let me, let me finish this thought. The team says, I want to, I want to do this for him and I have to do this. Otherwise he will chastise me. But then the, but Ben Bedros goes on to say in his interview that he can't create culture which was interesting to me. You can have these set of values, right? You can have these set of values that are standards that you want to set up and that you want to uh, to determine your culture. But this is what he said that I really liked. I can't create culture, but I can enhance the morale. Like if 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 you're in a position to write something down, like write that down. If you're a leader, if you're a C-suite guy, if you're driving in, you know, I've got a buddy that is, that is very, doing very high and doing very well at Lifetime Fitness, and I know he listens to this on his way into work. If you're driving into Lifetime Fitness, maybe you can't change the culture. Maybe you feel like you can't dictate culture, create the culture, whatever it is, right? Maybe you're, up, maybe you're trying to live up to the culture that is set and the standards that are set, and this is how we do things and all that, which is perfect. I'm a big culture guy, but I do love that mindset of, I can enhance the morale around here of making people feel really good about where they're working. They spend 80 or so percent of their time working for you. And hopefully you're a leader, a want to leader. Hopefully you're a want to leader, but you can roll in there and have somebody leave at five, six, seven o'clock tonight saying, man, it's Monday. That was the best stinking day I've had. And then he gets to go home and, treat his wife and kids a certain way or spouse a certain way, right? And then they just get to be uplifted and say, man, I'm working at the right place for the right person with the right clients, with the right team, with the right strategies, with the right products, with the right group of people. I can enhance the morale of the place I'm at. Heard this from a guy named Matt Ishba. Matt Ishba is now in the real estate business. I think I follow him on Instagram. He at one point played basketball at Michigan State. I really liked what he said here. Leaders are people. Leaders are not titles. Do not think that you need a title to be a leader. Do not think that you can't enhance the morale in the position that you are in. Do not think you can't be optimistic and encouraging and uplifting and lead people even if they are your peers and on the same level or whatever it might be that you are. That you can't roll out of there today with somebody that is a sales rep and you are a sales rep and have that one sales rep go home and say, man, being with George today or little Johnny today or Johnny today, that was impactful to me and made my job better today, made my life better today, made my appreciation for this business, this team, this client, this product better today. So I would hope that, I thought that was great. Leaders are people, they are not titles. So whatever your title is, you do not have to be in such a position where you don't think you can have an impact and that you can't be optimistic. And then to quote this, that you can't enhance the morale of the people you're around. I really liked that. I like this phrase and I've used it a lot in the past month and I hope that uh, it resonates with you. I'm not sure how this is gonna translate to 
teams or business or C-suite or whatever it might be, right? The people that listen to this. Don't do something till you get it right. You do it till you can't get it wrong, right? So skill work, not athletically, but just trying to master something. Having this mindset of, I got it right, move on, done. Like I could go out and do something and rep it out four or five times and then bam, get it right, done with it, move on. What about having the mindset of, I'm going to do this until I just can't get it wrong. And you know what? Now that I think about it, it is this idea of like, it's the idea of just doing something once instead of having it be a part of who your makeup is, who, what your mindset is, what your DNA is, who you are as a person, as a leader, as an employee. It's the doing it every single day mindset, doing it correctly, and then having that be something that you just never get wrong. What if it's about how you phrase and you say, instead, you know what, I'm going to, my goal for the week is to make sure that I say we are us and that I appreciate everybody and I give credit and recognition to other people. Not so much this week, but I'm going to start implementing some of those strategies this week because I'm going to do that till it's part of my mindset, part of my DNA, it's part of who I am. So six months from now, that's how I can't get it wrong. It's one thing, hey, I got it right. Made George feel better today, right? Instead of it just being it's just who I am. That's how I talk. That's how I lead. That's how I encourage. That is how I am optimistic. Don't do things until you just get it right. Do things until you can't get them wrong. That's a coaching thing. That is a Navy SEAL thing, I believe. Um, it resonated with me with the book I was reading about not doing things till you can't do it wrong. There's a big difference between the two. And the reason I do say that a lot is I work, I do a lot with kids in the area in terms of basketball and they can sit here and shoot a certain way or do a skill a certain way. And I look at them and I'm like, perfect. You just did that correctly. That was awesome. Now you have to do that 10,000 times, just like that. Cause after 10,000 times, you won't be able to do it wrong. It's better to go slow. It's better to do it correctly. It's better to build some confidence. And you then need to do it 10,000 times. And then you will have it. And then you won't be able to do it wrong. So think about you, your leadership, your teams, and how you do things. Let's not do it till we get it right. Let's do it till we can't get it wrong. Um, so I, mean, I think there's other things. The last thing I'm going to, I'll leave with this. I really like that PhD thing, finding people that are poor, hungry, driven. We're interviewing people again, Polaris, if you're in, if you're in software and you're in IT and you're interested in our, our program, plug for Polaris, which, which you get on occasion, um, we're hiring, reach out to me. Um, but I say this, this is what we say on some of these interviews. And I would think that, that, um, that you should try to have a, a company or a strategy similar to this. I'm not saying this is the best thing or the right thing or whatever it is, but if you're not passionate, if you don't want to be the best you can be, if you're not driven, if you don't want to, if you have to have credit and recognition, all that sort of stuff, then we're, this isn't the place for you, right? I think that's fair. Like, but if you're passionate, if you're driven, if you want to be around other passionate, driven people, if you want, then this is a great place to be. Right. And I'm not just saying about Polaris. I'm just wondering about the place when you go hire, you go recruit. 
and you're trying to build your sales team or you're trying to, you know, build your financial institutions, you know, that are doing financial planning, whatever it might be, right? I'm just thinking about what people do that I know listen to the program, right? And you're sitting there saying, hey, if this isn't your life's passion, like I said this this weekend to somebody uh, uh, over drinks, there's a big difference. Think about this. There's a big difference between a job and a career. Like I have a career. Some of you that listen may just have a job. This is my job. Eight, nine, check, check in, check out. This is my career. This is what I do. It's always on my mind. I'm always passionate about it. I'm always figuring out ways I can get better. I'm always trying to hope and find ways that I can have an impact to myself, my team, my clients, my, the products I'm on, and even the people that I might be reporting to. Right? That, but that's not just on me. I'm not saying that's on me. I'm suggesting that's across our company-wide. We all look we, we as a company look to hire people that have careers, that are passionate, that are driven, that want to get better, that see themselves in 10 years doing great things and impacting the community, right? That want to learn new things, that aren't static, complacent, have to be the smartest man in the room, aren't open to other people like, those are all kind of soft skills. That's even before we get to certain things. We used to say in basketball when I was recruiting, if you are coming to, if you are interested, if you are interested in basketball and your academic and your personal development, those are the top three things that you are interested in, then this is the place to be. Because we are passionate about basketball, we are passionate about uh, uh, young men and ladies getting degrees, and we're passionate about having life skills that will take you beyond playing basketball and take you out into the workforce. But if you're here to drink, to chase girls, to run around late at night on weekends and all that, this will be the worst place in the world for you because we will essentially destroy you and it won't last. And you won't last here because you're slowly coming into a group of people. If you can accept that, you are coming into a group of people that live and breathe that. Does that make sense? Like that's not a basketball thing. Our company that we work at, Polaris, we are surrounded by a lot of people that are passionate, driven, high expectations, want to uh, have the best business solutions and technical solutions for our clients. And that is our passion in our life and our, our career purpose, if you will. If you roll into us and that is not how you operate, we'll make it here, right? And that's how we kind of do things, right? That's not, that's, that, that is just to paint a story of how we work. And I'm sure your company is the same way or could be the same way or how you ever phrase that. But that's where we start, right? That is where we start. I'm going to leave with this last thing then. Anyway, so that circled back kind of this poor, hungry, driven PhDs and looking for PhDs. A big part of what we might all do is looking to build our teams, enhance our teams and, and, and build our companies. Because as this guy says, you don't hire a high performing team. You have to develop them. We go out and, but when we are developing people, we start with a baseline of this is the, we are setting expectations. So before we even get to interview number two, you know what we're about. So you can roll away from interview number one and say, that's not for me. And that has happened. Or we can roll away and say, that is not a, that's not the right fit for us because this is how we roll. This is our expectations. This is what we, and I'm not going to jeopardize the rest of the team by bringing in somebody that's super talented but doesn't fit in with what we're trying to do. 
poor, hungry, driven. PhDs. I like that from Rick Pitino. Okay. The last thing we'll leave, I'll make this quick. Momentum. Gary V said this. I thought it was really good. It's even, meaning you're even with people. You're even with a client. You're even with a project. And it's just a small couple things that happen. And then it's lights out. Then it's over. Because you got momentum. As a leader, as a team, as a C-suite guy that now has this great idea of how to paint a vision and enhance the morale and, and create all this optimism for your group and your people and your team, what can you do to get you where you're even to now where you can get them going in the direction now that you want to go? Momentum. You've got to figure out ways to create a little bit of momentum, then it's over. And it's just a few small things. In IT world, if you're listening to this in the IT shop, we talk about agile and lean software development and leaning things out. What we really talk about, and I do like this about software, and I do like it about building software, and I, I, this is just me and what I believe, and actually I think what a majority of the people with our company believe, is we sit there and say, you know what, we're going to deliver in what they say is small batch sizes. There's a variety of reasons for probably delivering in small batch sizes and, and doing small amounts of work. Bam, 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 bam. Small amounts of work. Quickly. It's one main reason that I like is, man, I can create a lot of momentum. Forget who I was with, and I know we talked about it last week where, you, you know, something in motion tends to stay in motion. It's about having that vision and mission and enhancing morale and developing that culture and leading with optimism and leading with the heart and how you're all going to do this. But how do we do it? Just do a small batch sizes, small batch sizes, get something and create momentum and get people moving that direction and get people and building morale and get people moving that direction because momentum will start going that way. Okay. So it's even, and then a couple of small things happen and then it's lights out. So that was on my notes for this week. And I write down some goofy stuff and some stuff that is common sense. But as one of our guests said a few weeks ago, it's the common sense things or the things that we have heard a long time ago that are impactful and life changing, but hearing them again, alter where I'm at and where I'm going and where I want to be. So hopefully um, even something small like that momentum, it's just a couple of things, small things that can happen that can get you moving. Um, covered quite a bit. I'm really into this optimism thing. If I were to kind of sum up, and I know some of you listen to Gary Vee and maybe you don't, maybe I talk too much about him, but I listen to him a lot because really it's funny. You want to, you want to go with people that bring you juice right? That's kind of the phrase I use. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be surrounded by people that bring me a lot of juice, that bring me a lot of excitement and optimism and that I can knock things out and that we can do great things and they want to do great things and I can encourage them and they can encourage me. And we, that's just what I'm doing, right? And Gary V kind of does that, not kind of, Gary V does that for me, right? And, and Gary V's whole, if I could sum up what the kick that he's on right now, which is the kick that I'm on. It is about optimism. It is about gratitude and it is about being positive. That's what he's all about. Right. And he runs a multi, multi million dollar thing. And he is sitting around as a multi multi millionaire with a 19 year old kid sitting there saying, you had a great summer as an intern here. You did great things. I learned great things from you. So your leaving here has been impactful. 
And I hope that when you go back to UC Irvine, you can take things you learned here and implement them either into your organization or team or company that you wind up working for. And I hope we stay connected. That's just, it's a 42 year old talking that has millions and millions and millions of dollars encouraging a 19 year old that could then go out and have confidence and safety to just take risks, do great things, all because of one conversation, right? Leading with love, leading with appreciation, leading with optimism, leading with encouragement, instead of leading out of fear, degrading people, making people feel like they're not suitable. It's impactful. Kobe Bryant said, my dad told me he loved me and that he didn't care if I scored zero points or 60 points. He was going to love me no matter what. And Colby Bryant, as a young kid, sat there and said, he essentially, I think this is exactly what he said. He said, game over. It's game over. That one conversation gave me all the confidence and all the safety in the world to go work my ass off and to fail and to get better. And I came back, and the story with Colby Bryant is he went from the worst player in this league to two or three years later being the best player in the state in three years' time, essentially. So you can have that impact on the people with one phrase, one sit-down, one cup of coffee. You can sit there and have that impact on people in your organization so they roll out of there feeling confident and safe and that you have their back. Man, I think that's impactful, and I hope you find it impactful. Listen, a uh, couple things. Listen, I hope you have a great week. I'm juiced up. I was with some great people this weekend. Our community out here is strong, and I hope you surround yourself professionally and personally with amazing, amazing, amazing people that uplift you and encourage you and challenge you uh, to get better. And I'm fortunate that I have that both personally and professionally. Um, and, and I hope you find that where you're at. Um, so I guess uh, follow this on YouTube. It's going to be in the show notes. It'll, I t I'll take you to the channel. My request is this. My request is that you subscribe to the YouTube channel. That changes things a little bit with some of what we do uh, with the subscription. So please go subscribe to the YouTube channel. Watch it on YouTube, whatever it might be. Please, you know, uh, listen to this on, on our um, podcast as well. So we have the video and we have, uh, we have this and we might be able to extract some things out and do some things. I appreciate the su support, but again, click the subscribe button. Let's get that number up a little bit. We can end up doing a little bit more. Um, ho hopefully if I will have a guest this week. I am with a client. Um, so it makes it a little bit more difficult for me to find that time, but we're working at it and making sure we don't drop the ball with the podcast because we enjoy it. And I appreciate all the feedback that we've received. Uh, subscribe, share, follow, you know, whatever you can do to help us with the podcast is appreciated. I know people are sending this to their friends. Um, I had a conversation last night with some friends that, you know, um, it's really, it's been really great. It's been really great because it helped it, just to have the dialogue, to sit down with people and, uh, and just to have a community where we're all kind of encouraging and getting after each other and, and helping people get better is great. So listen, I hope you have a great week. Uh, look for us on Thursday. Again, if there's anything we can do to help you, reach out to me, LinkedIn, best way. I've had, I can't tell you how many uh, uh, individual messages I got on LinkedIn this week, all relating to the podcast, all people reaching out to us. There was somebody in, a professor 
in Alabama or Mississippi that reached out to me because of the podcast. And then we started talking and then I gave him some information that I, of things that I felt were important to me and leading and in the IT space. And he ended up um, wanting to use that with his, uh, uh, with his class that he is a teacher at and wanted to make sure that uh, gave us, gave us credit, gave our, you know, and gave the podcast credit, you know, for some of the things we were talking about. So we're having these great conversations um, and I really appreciate it. Reach out to us on LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever it might be. Subscribe and have a great week. And I hope you crush it this week. Take care.